we've found that uh, this church has so quickly welcomed us. You know, just just amazing. You know, like you think about getting to know people and how long it normally takes to get to know people, and so many people here have just been so uh, welcoming and just this is who we are. We love that you're here and. We hear that week to week, and it really hasn't stopped the last three or four months. So um, that is that is fantastic. Uh, that is that is wonderful from week to week to know that you're going to hear. I'm so glad to have you here. I know that won't last forever, but um, for now, uh, <laughs> for now, it really is great. And uh, we'll be going down to see our my family and Christy's family, our, my parents and her parents this coming week after uh, Christmas Eve is over. That is, and uh, just. We have lots of good stories to tell them, you know. It's just wonderful things God is doing here, and uh, we are so encouraged. So thank you. Um, one more thing I'm going to call your attention to just briefly in your bulletin. It's, it mentions, uh, during our congregational meeting, it was brought up that, could we do something for a church uh, that was affected by Hurricane Sandy? If you were here for that uh, congregational meeting, we talked about that. Uh, just, just briefly, it was brought up. And we did decide we do want to help a church out there. Uh, we're going to help the church in, um, and I'm going to try to say this right, it, uh, Hoboken, New Jersey. Am I saying that right? Hoboken? Did I get that right? I looked it up before I said it. I don't know if the dictionary on, online got it right. But um, I talked to Pastor Paul out there, and they had major flooding. And, uh, and so they're renovating a kitchen, a bathroom. I said, is there any items that you need to purchase in particular? And he, he mentioned a water heater. So we are going to take a special offering in January, second week of January, uh, for that water heater, for them. So we just want to do what we can to help them. And uh, so if you want to think about that, you know, I know it's kind of nice to know going into the Sunday, oh, we're taking a special offering for that church. So Pastor Paul is very grateful for any support we could give them. And uh, like I say, they're recovering from all the flooding. So anyway, that's going on in January. Otherwise, let's pray, and then we'll look at the Word of God. Father, um, we want to go into this with open hearts, knowing that you want to say something to us this morning. And uh, maybe it's something that's in the notes. Maybe it's something that's not even in the notes that I have this morning. Maybe it's just something we're going to see in a verse as we read it together and and just say, that that was for me. That, That was when I met with God on Sunday morning, December 23rd, that's what I got. That's, that's what you said to me. And, and, I, and so I pray that each person has that kind of an experience this morning where we hear from you. So please help me get out of the way and get my stuff out of the way so that, so that you can be clear in the words that I'm going to share. Um, God, be with us right now, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our 11th anniversary. Uh, we went to Wausau and ate at Olive Garden, a favorite I uh, don't get that too much, so that was very fun. Um, and uh, it reminded me of the day that, of course, that I proposed to her that started this whole thing out, and uh, this marriage project. Um, and uh, it's a good project. She's the one working on me. Just, just let's be clear, all right? Let's be clear. Um, <laughs> I got a little ways to go. And uh, I remember we went downtown Chicago, and I've got this ring in my pocket, which, you know, feels like a ton, right? Not because the diamond is so big, but because I can just realize it's there. It's, it's there in my pocket. It's a ring. And, uh, you know, so we're walking around downtown, and uh, we were down by the Michigan Avenue area. And uh, we, I think we bought some cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory. 
by the Hancock building at that lower level there. And then I suggested we take it across the street to eat it. It was a summer day, so it was really nice out. And there's a little church, I think it's a Presbyterian church across the street from the Hancock building. We went across there, and they have a little courtyard that's open to the public. And I was waiting for all the people to clear out, because I wanted to propose right there. And I, I don't know, I, I didn't like everybody looking at me, and you know, what if she said no, and that would be really bad. And, and, uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, I waited for people to kind of clear out. I kind of kept us there longer than we needed to be. We ate our cheesecake. And then I, I read a poem and I got down on my knee and proposed. And she said yes. And uh, that was a great day. And then we, we walked down uh, a block uh, to Chicago and Michigan, the corner right there. And they have carriage rides. So we got in a carriage and uh, we, we, did the, we did a little tour down Lakeshore Drive. And I almost had it timed to where Navy Pier was setting off fireworks, you know. But, but I was off by just a few minutes. We got out of the carriage and the fireworks hadn't gone off yet. And so we ran down to the end of the road again and we could see the fireworks at that point after our carriage ride was over. A fun, a fun day that day. Um, I tell that story not because it was just my anniversary yesterday, but because we're looking at a proposal today in the pages of Scripture. We're looking at an ancient proposal and we all love proposal stories, which is probably why we love this one. So if you would, turn to Ruth chapter 3, and we will look at that together. Ruth chapter 3. You're going to the beginning of the, New, uh, the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. But it's small. Um, if you're visiting today because it's Christmas season, you're welcome to be here. I'll catch you up to speed. We've been talking about redemption. Redemption means uh, God has come in the form of Jesus Christ to fix broken things. God is into restoring things that were broken and making them better. Namely, most, most notably, our souls. That is, we are in sin and God has sent His Son to die on a cross to save us from it. But God also, He also likes to restore broken things that are in our life relationships we, that we never thought would be fixed, healings from things we never thought would be healed. Okay, he, he likes restoring things. That's his redemptive work. One day, everything will be redeemed. All of God's people that believe in him will be redeemed completely from every sickness. There'll be no more sin in the world. We'll never have to talk about another tragedy as we did last week. It will all be redeemed. But until that day, we still get glimpses we still have a God who's working in the world to do redemptive sorts of things. Now, Ruth is a story about redemption, an ancient story. Ruth is a young lady whose mother-in-law had her husband die, and then Ruth's husband died, and then they moved back to Israel, and they have not much at all. They're, they're, they're not doing the greatest until Ruth starts working in the field of this man named Boaz. She's gathering wheat and barley to, to survive and she meets Boaz who happens to be a relative, a kinsman redeemer in fact. As it was in that day, if, you had a, if your husband died and you had a relative, you could marry that guy and he could provide for you. It was kind of like God's plan for welfare for those who didn't have much because widows were especially vulnerable if they had no kids to help take care of them. This was God's gracious way of providing for a widow. Ruth is the widow. Boaz is the man who owns the field. 
And he is the one who Ruth is going to propose to. Okay? So we are in Ruth chapter 3. Verse 1. This is page 189 if you're still looking. It says, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you've been a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. All right. It occurs to me that most people would probably not like to preach a text like this. There's something difficult about this passage. All right? Uh, you've got a woman coming under the cover of darkness to Boaz. And I think when you read this, you're supposed to get the impression that this is a little bit odd. All right? There's a little bit of unknown. What's going to happen? Even the way the writer writes it, I don't know if you noticed earlier, when when Ruth says, what's going to happen? And Naomi tells her, go in and cover his feet, lay down. He'll tell you what to do. What's he going to tell her what to do? What is he going to tell her? I don't know. But, but you're supposed to get the impression that this is, this is maybe a little bit awkward, a little bit different, and the, and, the, and the resolution is very uncertain. And I think you should even get the impression upon reading this that maybe the morality of it is a little bit interesting. <laughs> a woman coming under the cover of darkness to lay at Boaz's feet. And, and so I'm not surprised, even though I disagree wholeheartedly, uh, where some scholars say that something scandalous did happen and the writer just couldn't write about it because it just wouldn't be right to say that this is what happened under the cover of night. Um, I disagree wholeheartedly. 
This is a man of noble character and a woman of noble character. And I'll get into some more reasons maybe later on why we should look at this as a very righteous thing that's happened. Um, But I don't think most people would choose to preach this, but this is in our story. This This is part of the story of redemption. And I think in looking at this, uh, we have to look at some of the customs involved here, what, what's really going on behind the scenes. But we also ought to understand maybe the big picture here. The big picture, as you see on the, on the screen, is that God uses humans to accomplish his redemptive plans. God uses people like you and people like me to accomplish redemptive plans. Two weeks ago, we looked at Ruth 2. And you could see God's hand in the plan where Ruth met Boaz. How did she wind up in his field? God's plan. How was it that just that very day, Boaz was coming back from a trip and said, who's that woman over there? And they got introduced. Of all the people in all of Israel, that's where she ended up. God was orchestrating his plan. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. This Sunday, we've got God's people that are trying to make a plan to redeem Ruth. Naomi has a plan. Boaz responds with a plan of his own. And so we see that God uses us to accomplish His redemptive purposes. A lot of people have been asking the question in the past week or two, why do we have tragedy like the one we saw that last Friday? Why do we see things like Sandy Hook happen in America today? And we want to blame something. We want to have a reason. And so we say, well, you know, it, it, it's violent video games. Or we say it's, it's maybe a lack of parental love. Or we say it's, it's, it's horror movies. We, we, we want to put something. It's mental illness. It's, it's the fact that guns are so easy to get a hold of. And we have all this list of reasons. We kind of talked about that last week. But we really want to say, this is why the world is broken. We as Christians say the world is broken because of sin, because of evil. This world is not as it could be, or not as it should be. It's not the way God originally designed it in the Garden of Eden. It's broken. God wants to do a redemptive work in the world. We pray things like, uh, give us this day our daily bread. We pray things like, May it be on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray these kinds of things, what we're saying is, we want things down here to be fixed. We want people to be able to eat, and yet they're starving people across the world. We want, things to be, we want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and yet we know things are broken. Part of God's answer is us. We're here to fix things. We're here to redeem things. We are the body of Christ. Christmas was about God sending his son into a broken world to redeem things. So when Jesus grew up from that baby, what did he do? He traveled around healing people. He traveled around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. This is what he did. He came to redeem broken things. Ultimately, he came to redeem us spiritually. But he also redeemed a lot of physical things as well. The blind were able to see. The lame were able to walk. Now that Jesus is gone, he's left us. He said this. He said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We go with Jesus' mission. We go to help hurting people and broken people 
and suffering people and poor people. That's what we're here for. That's why we're sending an offering over to New Jersey because we want to help. We want to be agents of redemption. How do we do it? What I want to do as I teach Ruth 3 is look at some ways we can be redemptive. We can live redemptively in an unredeemed world. What can we do? Okay? I have three points on how we can do that. Number one. We can be the answer to some of our own prayers. We can be the answer to some of our own prayers. Uh, Look at verse 1 again. Naomi says, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? And then is not Boaz a kinsman redeemer? uh, Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you've been a kinsman of ours? And then she comes up with a plan. Now, literally... When she says in verse 1, my daughter should not try to find a home for you, literally the word home, some of you have a footnote on there, that word home is the word rest. That's what the word home is. NIV tried to kind of smooth it out a little bit, but she says, I want to find rest for you. I want you to be at a place where you are at peace and you have your needs provided for and we don't have this up in the air thing. I want rest for you. In Ruth chapter 1, when Naomi was sending the girls away, when their husbands first died, she prayed that they would find rest. She prayed for them in Ruth chapter 1 that they would find rest. And now in Ruth chapter 3, she says, I want to help find you rest. You see, in chapter 1 it was a prayer request. In chapter 3 it was, what can I do to help meet this need. And so we have to ask ourselves a question. There's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of things that burden us. And when we get burdened, we rightfully pray. We pray for God to ease suffering. But do we go the next step and say, God, you put this on my heart. I pray to you about it. Do I need to do something about it? Do you want me to do something about this? It's one thing to pray redemptively. It's another thing to live redemptively and say, if it's already on my heart, maybe God wants me to do something about it. I know a family that was praying for another family because this family didn't have a lot of of stuff at Christmas, not a lot of money, and they were praying for them. And then they decided they were going to actually anonymously give money to this family for their Christmas. Those are two different things. Praying is great. I always encourage it. I also encourage you to live and act redemptively. This is what Naomi does. If we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, are we obeying God to such a degree that we are also doing His will on earth? That's what we're here as a church to do. We're commanded to be doers of the word. Okay, so Naomi answers her own prayer request, and comes up with a plan. Second way we can live redemptively. We can obey God's commands precisely, consistently, and without apology. Let's look at Boaz's response. Let's talk a little bit about the context of the story here. They're at the the harvest time, 
And, and this is a time of celebration, a time where families are getting together, and a lot of times the men would sleep on the threshing floor, okay? They're sleeping on the threshing floor. So it, it was known where Boaz would be. That wasn't like that was mysterious at all. But Naomi's plan is interesting. And I'm not going to offer you the solution this morning, but I struggle with this all week and all last week because I've had a couple weeks to look at this passage. Naomi says, here's the plan. We know the threshing floor is a time where you're celebrating. Uh, God has been good. God has provided. And the men are sleeping out there. And uh, Boaz is going to be out there. And so my plan is, we're going to have a proposal to Boaz under the cover of darkness. Ruth, I'm going to have you go out there, uncover his feet, and the idea would be that he would wake up. Okay? In the night, at some point, Boaz's feet become uncovered. I know you're rehearsing all of your marital sleeping together right now, aren't you? Like, you're in bed, your, your spouse pulls the covers over, now you're cold, Right? This is what we're talking about here. (laughs) Uncover his feet, and at some point in the night, he's going to get cold. And he's going to wake up. It says he woke up kind of startled. Like, what's going on? I'm cold. And he sees this woman at his feet. Now, to me, that comes across as a very compromising position to be in. It's dark, and there's an unknown woman. What do you react like when you're woken up from a sound sleep? Okay. When you wake up out of a sound sleep because the kids are calling for you or because of whatever, do you wake up like, oh, I'm thinking totally clearly and, and I'm going to go help and I, I'm like fresh and I'm ready to go? Uh, no, I wake up like, leave me alone and, and they got to call for five minutes before I'm up. You know, forget that. Hit the snooze on the alarm. I, I'm tired. I'm not a morning person. I don't know if Boaz was, but this is the middle of the night. And. All I'm saying is, Ruth comes to him at a what seems to be an inopportune moment. You're waking the guy up. He's groggy. It's cold out. And he's saying, who is this? And we're in, uh, we're in verse 9. He says, who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're my kinsman redeemer. Here's the plan. I'm just telling you the plan. What? What's going on? And, and he responds... So incredibly righteously, okay? I think there was opportunity for sin here. There was opportunity. Now the question is, do you think that Naomi's plan was good and righteous? Maybe a better word to be to use wise. Was her plan wise? Or was her plan foolish and putting Ruth at risk? Because who knows what would happen there? If you want to know what I think, I guess I'll throw this out there. I think Naomi's plan was risky. But I think she had the best of intentions. And I believe her intentions are based on the response of a righteous man named Boaz. I've heard some scholars say about this passage, scholars that I I highly respect, that this was a foolish thing for Naomi to do. I'm not there. I'm not there. I think it was risky. 
I think it was risky. But I believe Naomi knew the kind of man that Boaz was. And he proved it. Groggy from waking up from sleep. Not at his best. Tired. Cold. And how does he respond to a woman lying at his feet? He obeys God's commands precisely, consistently, and without apology. This is what he does. Look at his response. Number, uh, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you what you ask. All my fellow townsmen know you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to redeem good. Let him redeem. If he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. The Old Testament law provided for Ruth's needs. If there's someone close of kin, she can marry that person. And Boaz says, I may be tired and I may be cold, but I will obey the word of the Lord. I would like to redeem you. I would like to marry you is what he's saying. I'm responding yes to your proposal, but somebody else is closer in relation than I am. And we got to ask him first. That is the right way to respond to this situation. Okay? So in the face of temptation, in the face of let's try to make God's plan work as fast as we can and short-circuit the other guy, Boaz says, no, 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 no. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this God's way. We're not going to do it my way. This speaks highly of Boaz's character. And I really believe that Naomi knew that going into it. One of the best arguments, I think, for why nothing sinful happened that night is because Boaz shows he is a man of character. He doesn't say, I'll marry you tomorrow. I'll redeem you. He says, wait, we've got to make sure this other guy that's closer in relation, he has the first shot here. He could redeem you. But if he doesn't, I will. Would you say that you obey God's commands that precisely, that consistently, even when you're tired and grouchy and at your worst and you have less hair because your children are causing that to happen? Would you say that you still obey God's commands consistently, precisely, and without apology? Look, there are plenty of people in America today that say that the rules of the Bible are old-fashioned, okay? I mean, look, we still believe in marriage. You know, people want to get married, but they want to take marriage on a test run first and move in together. And they say, if you don't do that, you're old-fashioned. Why have old-fashioned morals like that? Okay? Why is the party scene not a good place to go? All right? That's old-fashioned. We're, we're, we're adults now. We can do what we want. There's a whole list of things we don't like as Americans. The Bible says this is the way it is. We would say, why can't I stretch the truth a little bit if it works out better on this, this business deal? Why, why can't I just embellish it a little bit? And God's request, God's command is, will you obey me consistently, precisely, and without apology? Don't apologize. Don't apologize. 
If you're talking to somebody and, the, and, and they're saying, this is my plan, and you hear the plan and you go, that doesn't honor God at all. Don't apologize about it. Say, this is God's best for you. When we do things our way, and I know I'm picking on marriage and, and the whole cohabiting thing because it's kind of one of those... those when I th- ever think of the word old-fashioned, I always think of that law because people, cause I talk to people so much. I've sat down with so many couples over the last five or six years that say, will you marry us? And, and I say, you know, we're talking about the marriage thing. And then I ask, they're living together. Well, we are. And then I say, I can't do that. And, th- and their thought is, that's just so old-fashioned. That's so outdated. Why do you even, why do you do that? And my response is, do you want God's blessing on your relationship or not? Do, do you want God's redeeming hand in your life or not? If you go down this road, you may think that you will have a better marriage later if you take it for a test drive. But God says you're living unredeemed. And if you live in an unredeemed way, you're breaking things. It's not going to help you in the long run to not obey God's commands. And somehow we've got to communicate to ourselves and to our loved ones that when you don't obey God's commands you end up breaking things in your life. And it may seem wise by the world's standards, but God says there's a better wisdom out there. And Boaz proves it at the hardest possible moment. He responds with righteousness. Thirdly, what's the third thing we can do to act redemptively in the world? Number three, We can strategize our acts of righteousness. We can strategize our acts of righteousness. We can plan out what we're going to do to do good things in the world. Naomi's plan, Ruth, you're going to go under the cover of darkness. You're going to lay at his feet, uncover his feet. He's going to wake up. This is what you're going to say. That was a strategy. Was it risky? Yes. Boaz has a strategy. Here's how I'm going to respond to your proposal. We're going to ask the other kinsman redeemer first. That's my strategy. What's Ruth's strategy? Ruth just says, I'm going to follow the advice of my mother-in-law, do what she tells me. That's my strategy. Okay? We can strategize our acts of righteousness. The youth ministry has a strategy. They want to uh, help purchase clean water for the people of Peru. They have a strategy. There's a little well out there. That's their strategy. You can have a strategy too. How am I going to say no to the sin that I always go back to? If it's gossip, how do you stop gossiping? Maybe you say, here's my strategy, and you write it down. Write it on paper. You say, these are the people that I'm going to avoid hanging out with because every time I'm with them, I stumble into it. Every single time. If you're a guy and you say, you know what? I can avoid some of these guys that are always telling dirty jokes because I never know what to say. You know, When they tell a joke like that and I'm sitting there, I always laugh and go along because I don't know what to do. Well, men, you sit down, you get a piece of paper out and you say, this is what I'm going to say when that joke is told. Here's my response to that. And, and you can make it gentle and just say, hey, you know, I, I'm trying to... I, I'm trying to please Jesus, and I know this isn't pleasing. You, know. you, you, you can strategize how you're going to say it, because in the moment, that's hard. In the moment, it's like, what do you do? 
It's kind of a shock at the moment, but you can strategize well. If you struggle with the things that your eyes see and the places that they go, you sit down and you say, how am I going to not go back to these places again? What is the battle plan? It's not not rocket science. It's just us saying, God has righteousness for us. We have a mind to strategize how to get this done. In fact, that was one of the questions that the search committee asked me very bluntly before, the, before I came on here was, how do you protect yourself uh, with the internet? What do you do? And I told them my plan. Okay? You can have a plan. You can strategize your righteousness. That's what Naomi does. Even though it was a risky plan, I admit that. But it was a plan to redeem her daughter-in-law. And your strategies will bring healing into your life as well. Think about that this week. I just want to close with one last question, thought, and then we'll pray, and then we'll be done. When you get up out of bed, will you get up ready to serve yourself, ready to open presents, ready to um, have a cup of coffee? Or do you get woken up out of sleep, ready to act redemptively in the world that is broken around you? That's a question we ought to ask ourselves as the church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we see the examples of three different people in this passage, and we want to emulate them. We want to be like them. We want to act righteously in an unrighteous world. We don't want to make excuses for why we live the way we do. We know that the way we live is the way you've called us to live. We know that the way we live is, is, is really your ways. And if we do things your way, we count on your blessing. God, help us. Help us strategize well how we're going to do life in this broken world. God, I pray as we go into uh, the next couple days and Christmas coming, I know there's going to be lots of conversations with family members. I know there's a lot of brokenness in families. I know there's a lot of stuff that's, been, that's not been redeemed yet. And I pray that we would be agents of redemption. That we would speak words that would be gracious and that would point to your Son. Lord, make this time, this time of year, particularly redemptive as we gather together. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I want to give you one more opportunity before we leave today. Um, If you're visiting this morning or you don't know Christ,